everybody. Welcome to We Are Live. It's Chris Timmons, special one-on-one today with a very talented Lisa Guerrero from Inside Edition. Lisa, thank you so much. I know you're busy in Los Angeles. There's tons of news to cover. Uh, you yourself have many projects outside of Inside Edition, so extremely happy to have you uh, jumping on the live stream today, especially given the times. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for asking me. I am good. I'm staying safe and healthy and washing my hands a lot. <laughs> it looks good. I love it too that in a pandemic, of course, Lisa Guerrero's hair looks perfect too. I just, I'm going to get that out of the way. Way to go. I'm over pandemic here. Pandemic is no excuse to let your guard down. You've always got to look your best, people. Well, you're you're proving that right. I'm over here and I'm thinking like, do I give myself a haircut? Like this, this is getting pretty long. It's getting bushy on the sides and all that stuff. So I don't know. Maybe I can work something out where a, a barber does like a self-guided tour. We can make a, a spectacle out of it. I don't know. We'll see what happens. So, okay, Lisa, I, I do want to jump in. Uh, you've had a great career that uh, I feel like I've followed for a bit. Um, as far as Inside Edition goes right now, um, we can get into some of uh, the highlights, but right now, uh, all the work that you're doing with legitimately unprecedented times, events happening right now, is this one of the most challenging or confusing things that you've ever had to cover as a journalist in, uh, in your career? Well, it's the biggest disaster uh, of our lifetime, many of our lifetimes. So, um, you know, a worldwide pandemic that is killing hundreds of thousands of people globally um, is by far the saddest thing to cover, the most serious thing to cover. Um, you know, typically I'm the investigative journalist for the show. So wow. I travel around the country and we um, confront bad guys and crooks and uh, scam artists. And all of that went out the window about a month ago when uh, the show decided to focus solely on uh, COVID-19 and the ramifications for human beings and families and, and businesses and small business owners. Um, so we, we really shifted gears and of course, nobody's traveling by plane anymore. Right. So I, I am separated from my um, investigative unit. They're all in New York and I live in Los Angeles. Our show is based in New York, but we have an LA bureau. And right now, because both of our New York facilities have been closed and evacuated um, because of COVID-19 uh, situations in both those buildings, we've been putting together the show in Los Angeles. And I've been doing general assignment, meaning I wake up every day at about five o'clock and I get an assignment from our bureau chief and I go cover some different aspects of the coronavirus pandemic. And it's been really different. You know, obviously I'm used to long form journalism for the last 10 years and uh, doing breaking news and, you know, concentrating on this one subject and the ramifications of it for, for people has been different. And in a way, it's been really refreshing to get back to the core um, uh, importance of what news is about and that's about giving the latest information to people on a daily basis and this pandemic as you know the information changes not daily not hourly but by the minute so it's really important that journalists now uh, with our boots on the ground like i am you know i'm going out and covering things in my community that we're constantly giving people the best information available that day and that may change tomorrow and the next day and the next right. day so we're trying to keep people updated. Um, so that's basically what I've been doing is, is you know, round the clock coronavirus coverage. 
Do you feel like whenever you're out and actually physically in the field, uh, do you feel like you're personally at risk? And is that something that you, I don't know, you, you just mentioned that you're talking to bad guys, you're talking to terrible people a lot of times that uh, I'm sure you've had your fair share of horrific threats, just knowing human nature. Uh, is this definitely, do you feel like you're, you, do you feel like you, at least Guerrero, that you're actually in danger whenever you're out and about? I mean, is this something that's affecting your work? Um, do you notice a, a difference in how you're speaking to people, dealing with people? Um, you, you, you're a veteran at this, so you, I mean, you have your, your specifics down and how you go about your work. Has that changed? And is there legitimate fear inside of you? I, I'm personally, I'm, I feel like a, a weirdo walking around. This is not me. I'm walking around with a can of Lysol with everything. And I'm trying to do the things that before I would have been like, come on, I think we're pulling this off. No, we're not. I will put a mask on and go buy groceries. It's what you do. Yeah. Um, so when you're out and about, do you feel that way? And how has it affected you as a professional journalist? I absolutely feel like that. Um, this this virus is extremely serious, and um, you know I I take it seriously, but I do know that when I'm out in the community, I I am exposing myself to the possibility of coming in contact with something that may be asymptomatic. Right. Um, I could touch a surface. I could touch a microphone that somebody else has touched, and they don't realize. You know, an engineer, a technician, another talent. Maybe they have it, maybe I have it, and I could be exposing somebody else. Um, we have been taking a ton of precautions. We're now um, uh, you know, using boom mics. We clean everything and disinfect everything before everybody's used from our tracking facility. Our tracking booth is where we do our voiceovers right. and all of our microphones, all of our equipment is constantly being cleaned. Our computers are being cleaned, my phone, Anything we touch is always being cleaned. Um, but if you're out and about in the community, you are taking a risk. And, and journalists around the world are, are, are really um, sacrificing their potential health by covering this story. And it, what's, what's amazing about this is to hear um, you know, people saying fake news or the press is your enemy or don't believe the press when journalists are just like you and me, there are neighbors, there are friends, there are family members, there are people in your community that are giving you important information. And I, to, to have lived through, as you said, I've, I've been in the news business for a long time, for uh, 20 plus years. Right. I've never lived through an experience where politically for the last several years, I've been viewed as the enemy when I'm just trying to do my job as an investigative reporter, giving people good information. And now you're battling the coronavirus and crazy politicians. So it's, it becomes really um, uh, depressing. Right. And, you know, the thing, the good news is I think the vast majority of people realize that, that journalists are, are simply reporting the news. Um, but today on Facebook, I had to block a couple of kooks fake news and, and they didn't believe, you know, a, a, a news item that came out today that this administration was warned as early as November about right. the coronavirus. And of course I post that and there's, there's crazies that come out and say, you know, that's a, you know, that's a scam. That's not true. It's, it's fake news. So that, that is disturbing for sure. So with your experience and then you've covered, you've done entertainment, sports, um, you've been a part of several different things. 
Have you, and I believe we, we chatted a bit before, and if we're repeating it, so what? We've got new listeners, right? Um, your experience from knowing Donald Trump in either social circles or through entertainment circles, d- does that, I, I think of it as like you knew someone in high school and then they go on to be, um, they have some sort of uh, political background or even just a job of note. And you're like, that person? Um how many times, and I'm not even asking you to give political statements or anything, just him as a person and then everything that you're dealing with as a journalist now, I guess, is it surprising to you um, how things have either went or how he's handling this issue? And then maybe, I don't know, um, in your past, have you dealt with him uh, even at a dinner? You know, I feel like the issue that we're living through now and this divisiveness that we're seeing mm-hmm. began long before Donald Trump threw his hat in the ring. Sure. You know, I feel like we've been on this path as a country for a long time. And because I do travel all over the country and I'm not sitting behind a desk in New York or LA, you know, I am a boots on the ground reporter. I travel, I talk to people, I cover um, crime and and death and cold cases and and you know really some very serious stories but also some lighter consumer stories as well sure so i see a wide swath of people and i've been doing this job for over a decade and i've seen signs as early as a decade ago where i was like wow the difference between the red states and the blue states is is vast and my my biggest concern about that isn't political it's it's more social and physical because I worry about people that that don't take information science and experts seriously when people literally do not want to listen to doctors and scientists and you've got the administration also saying don't listen to doctors listen to me you know listen to a group of politicians to me, that's dangerous. And the ramifications are, are, are less about politics to me and more about people being hurt, people losing their homes and their businesses, and in this case, their lives. So this is really serious business. And and when when people say, oh, you're, you're just saying that because you're a Democrat or you're a liberal or you're whatever they think I am. No, what I am is somebody that believes in science, facts, and, and I worry about you. I, I am um, somebody that cares about victims. I care about the underdog. I care about uh, people that are vulnerable. Um, you know, I look specifically for stories that are going to affect the elderly, people of color, women, uh, people that are below the poverty line. Those are the kinds of story, you know, vulnerable animals. I tell stories that I hope are going to help people, help society. And when I see a big group of these people, just completely going, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. That makes me scared. That's a really interesting point of view that uh, not too many people can say that they legitimately have given your travel, your extensive research and all of those conversations. So that's troubling to hear that you're troubled. So just to, <laughs> to share that. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I completely understand. Um, and then the background of, I guess, yourself, uh, president, and we can move past this. Have you, do you know him personally? I can't remember. I apologize. I have met him and I've interviewed Mm -hmm. him before, but it was before he was the president. I interviewed him for a, 
a general assignment um, inside edition story uh, probably about months before he threw his hat in the ring. Had I known <laughs> that this guy was going to run for president, I'd have a lot right. more things to ask him. Um, <laughs> sure. So, as you no. can imagine. And I wish I was part of the press corps. Sometimes I watch these press conferences and I just, I, I get so frustrated, but I don't think I would last very long. I'd probably get kicked out. I was going to say, if there's any form of, uh, I don't ever think there's other healthy debate. There's either a reporter trying to say something just completely off the wall that they know is going to make him angry, or he needs someone to completely uh, pet him. There's no real, and I could be way wrong on this, but it doesn't feel like, and just seeing what you've done with your uh, reporting, there's no real back and forth ever. It's never a healthy exchange. It's either going to be uh, someone trying to get his goat to get a reaction or someone trying to um, maybe just get their point across and he's just going to agree the whole time. So, yeah, I don't know if you would last that long. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know I wouldn't personally, but um, I, I think that in the years to come, um, historians and certainly journalism professors are going to look back at this time and really break down, you know, what the journalists did right and what they did wrong and and how best to look nobody was prepared uh, for this kind of administration nobody was prepared i'm sure as a journalist to be you know told that you're the enemy right. and that the enemy is you know the press is the enemy and, and you're hurting america um, nobody expected to be hurled obscenities at when you're out in the community trying to do your job so I think really, you know, to kind of defend the press that you do see every day, I think they are trying to do their best, but it's really difficult to try to keep your composure, stick to the facts, ask your question, um, and, and remain dignified when we are living in these unprecedented times. I just, I, I feel really badly for a lot of those journalists that are stellar journalists that have been in the business for a long time, I'm sure they wake up every morning just, just shaking their head going, how do you do this? How do you do right. this? Uh, I'm curious too, as we, we continue to talk about uh, some of your experience in your career and just the nature of what you do in general, do you have a, a list of the most ridiculous people you've encountered? Actually, I think you know most people that have seen Inside Edition will remember some of those crazy moments. Right. Um, of course, the Kenneth Copeland interview that went viral worldwide recently is still in the news because Kenneth Copeland has now claimed that he can cure the coronavirus through the TV, and if you send him a donation, he can pray over you, like all that stuff. So you've got Kenneth Copeland and and that recent very long interview. That, that you can still see if you go to Inside. Just just Google Inside Edition Kenneth Copeland and then click on the entire interview, the long version, the 12-minute version. It's, it's wacky. Uh, but I also interviewed, you know, one of the, the really wild interviews that I did a while ago that's now back in the news is uh, Joe Shrevevogel, who's known as Joe Exotic, the Tiger King. So I interviewed him a decade ago Lisa. on Inside Edition. Lisa, we got to talk about this. I here I am thinking that we could do an hour on your boy Reverend Copeland. Uh, 
And then comes the Tiger King. You talked to yeah. you talked to Joe Exotic ten years ago. Um, right. Let's go ahead and, and give some credit to the documentary crew. They they do a very good job at, at editing and putting everything together. Um, your experience, um, I guess. Walk, first of all, everybody follow Lisa on Instagram or Twitter, or wherever at, at four Lisa Guerrero. That's number four Lisa Guerrero, and we'll pump all that out as well. Um, Thank you. <clears throat> of course, of course. So whenever you're you're talking to somebody like a Joe Exotic in person, I mean, we can reenact yeah. it. We can reenact it, or you can go ahead and just narrate it. Um, so first of all, you go to, uh, were you on site? So, okay, r- back it up real quick. We were just talking about the Kenneth Copeland interview. You confronted right. him in southwest Missouri, uh, four hours yes. southwest of St. Louis, and he's getting into his hangar and all that stuff. You go on site. This isn't um, on the phone. There's real danger. There's real things. Did you, and I'm hoping yeah, the answer is yes. Did you happen to talk to Joe Exotic at the tiger, uh, at the tiger farm or whatever we're calling it? Yeah. His so zoo, GW Zoo. Yeah. Okay. So let me back up and explain what the investigation was. Yes. We had heard that, um, that Joe Schriebvogel, as he was known then, um, was running a um, a group of these kind of roadside zoos around the Midwest, and they were taking small tiger cubs right. and going to local malls and asking for you know twenty bucks or fifty bucks to pose with a tiger cub in a mall. And we had a tip that a lot of these cubs had died and were extremely sick, and that he had been investigated. So we went, we flew to Oklahoma and saw a couple of these roadside zoos and um, went to see these mall exhibits that his group was, uh, was taking kind of mall to mall. And we went with hidden cameras and we saw some of the most heartbreaking, gut-wrenching images. Mm-hmm. Um, these small, and, and I got to see them in person. I touched them. I saw uh, welts and open sores on these tiger cubs. Um, they were sick. They were crying. They were shaking. They obviously didn't want to be handled by strangers. And mm-hmm. what the, the group did was just hand them from group to group, you know, take your money. Here's a, here's a tiger cub. We'll take your picture. Next group comes in, same thing, just for hours and hours and hours. And these cubs had diarrhea and were vomiting. It was awful. It was awful. So we collected this uh, video and we called Joe and we said, you know, we have some questions for you. But by the way, we also talked to some of his employees that said, oh, yeah, somebody was just hurt by one of the adult tigers the other day. And yeah, these tigers are are sick. So they admitted on hidden camera um, that, that this was, was not healthy for people or for the tigers. So we, um, invited Joe to our New York studios to do a sit down interview, which we did. And it was bananas. He, uh, was, was really, um, furious about our story. And he claimed that, that he was a good owner of tiger cubs Mm-hmm. But, you know, I said, you know, why have, have 20, it was either 23 or 25 tiger cubs died under his care right. recently. And I said, how did these tiger cubs die? And, you know, it was just, it was a very disturbing interview. And it was part of a group of animal investigations that we did that went on to win a National Press Club Award in 2011. 
So that was back in 2010. So as you can imagine, uh, boy, was I surprised when Tiger King came around. Right. I saw every episode, and uh, the thing that disturbed me the most is that people somehow uh, became, I think, sympathetic to Joe Exotic. And, you know, as somebody that has investigated and saw firsthand with my own eyes how sick his animals were, right. and in my opinion, you know, the fact that they were abused and, and were dying, this is not a guy that, that I think is some kind of a, a cool guy or pop culture phenom. Um, I, I think that what he did was horrible. So you view him, and you've you've been on site for this. You view him as a monster, as the as the head of a of a disgusting, just ring of uh, of profiteering over exotic animals. I saw animals being hurt, and right. I know that animals in his care were dying. And right. as an animal lover myself, uh, that's disturbing to me. And right. just as an investigative journalist, it it bothers me to know that people somehow feel sympathy for this man. Do you have any knowledge of the other characters of that story from you? I mean, I understand you were probably doing a piece and the animal welfare was enough. Obviously, you won a big award over it. But did you happen to, and I brought this up in another interview, I have to ask you too, just because of your position and your behind the scenes, the most troublesome thing from the Doc Antle guy, other than the obvious, but um, you know who I'm talking about, the South Carolina yeah, guy. Yeah, of course, yeah. Was his ego, and when he point when he started telling the documentary crew like where to set up and what to do, like what would Lisa Guerrero do if Doc <laughs> Antle was like, "Why don't you stand over here, sweetie?" Like I feel like he's that guy, right? Yeah, I uh, again not a sympathetic character to me. No. Um, I you know the, first of all, I think everybody came across as kooky and. Yes. Um, it, like it's this strange subculture of folks right. in this animal community that um, you know that the the documentarians set up to look even probably kookier than they really are. I mean, if, the, if right. that's hard to believe. I mean, they did an amazing job at you know creating entertainment out sure. of this, and and that kind of bothers me too. Is that you know. What they didn't focus on in the documentary were the lives lost of these animals and how abusive, you know, living in one of these roadside zoos is and breeding exotic animals. They glorified it, in my opinion. And so to me, I, and believe me, I'm not a member of PETA and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, you know, an animal rights activist. I'm just a reporter and I can tell you what I saw and I can tell you as a viewer, how I felt when I saw the documentary was like, oh boy, here we go. We're kind of making fun of these people yeah. um, that for the most part are, you know, are, are certainly not the elites. These, these are folks that live in rural areas and, you know, have a heart for animals, I guess. And sure. I almost feel like the documentary was making fun of them. And, you know, again, as a reporter, I wish the, um, that the takeaway was animals have been abused. People have profiteered, you know, because of these animals, right. people are making money because of these, these animals that certainly don't belong in somebody's exotic tiger, exotic animals do not belong in somebody's roadside zoo. That's, they just don't. No, so, it, it makes sense. That's my I mean, takeaway. 
the the square miles that one male tiger probably covers, like you couldn't, I mean, what, 600 square miles probably is what they would need or, or hunt on or something like that. Um, so back to the, so you brought him to New York. My initial thought was, so obviously there are tactics with producers and stuff, just a little bit of behind the scenes. I'm not asking you to expose exactly what Inside Edition does for guests and everything like that. When you have an individual like a Joe Exotic, do you are you essentially playing off of his own ego that of course even if it's for the most horrific allegations whatsoever he may mask it and i'm gonna go defend myself but you're really playing to his ego correct like of course he wants a camera on him to go to new york and to be interviewed by you right like that's the motivation absolutely not i mean we can't say that i'm going to assume that his ego is going to say yes i want to do it or i'm going to run in fact, most of the time when we ask for interviews, we get turned mm -hmm. down. People say no. Interesting. So, you know, that's why you see me out at a court hearing and following somebody right. down the sidewalk is because yeah, yeah, yeah. we always ask them first, you sure. know, we're doing an investigation on you. We are, you know, we're investigating this, um, you know, this business or, you know, whatever this is that you're doing. And, you know, typically we ask them for an interview first right. and typically they say no, almost everybody. So yeah. once in a while, if they say yes, um, you know, we certainly, he knew what we were going to interview him about. It right. wasn't like, oh, we want you to come and do a story about how great, you know, how great it is to, um, you know, to have these mall roadside zoos. To be like, the we, Tiger we, King, we, right? Yeah. Yeah. And all you have to do literally is Google me. And you will see, oh, she's the investigative reporter for Inside Edition. It's not like I pretend I'm somebody else. I'm, you know, I'm Kelly Clark. Come in, you know, we say who we are, what, you know, right. what our story is and who I am. And, um, and if they choose to come in, then great. You know, we want people to be able to talk about what it is they're doing and to give us their side of the story. Right. We would prefer for people to sit down with us. Yeah. Um, I would prefer not to have to be on surveillance for hours in the middle of nowhere and, you know, wait for somebody to come out of their business. I would much prefer to do a nice sit down interview. It's much more comfortable for me. <laughs> uh, career wise. Have you thought about that? I mean, what we're doing right now, I mean, you have, obviously this isn't the podcast doing that. We have a, we have a good following, but you have people doing this at ex exponential crazy levels. And I feel like, um, your skill set could be used in this platform. Do you want to potentially pursue a longer form conversation show? Do you just love what you're doing so much? You're already so busy. Uh, would that be something that you would get into? And not necessarily a podcast. It's just a it's a, a medium that's e there's la less of a barrier to entry. Yeah, I you know I think about that a lot, and I've been mm -hmm. asked before if I want to do that, and I was reluctant to do that at first a couple of years ago when a lot of folks started. And I just, I didn't see how I could physically do it because I was on the road a lot, sure. but now because of technology, and that's one thing about this, um, you know, the situation that we're in right now, we're learning how to communicate, uh, better and use technology better. Right. So now I, I would be able to be on the road and do a podcast. Um, I would be able to, to do some kind of a show wherever I am using the technology that we have now. So I, because I was the most reluctant, just because I didn't think, you know, I thought I, I'm going to have to be in a studio somewhere to do it. Sure. And how can I commit to that once a week or twice a week or whatever it would be? 
Now I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I can do it. You know, I've got a YouTube channel. I'm constantly posting uh, videos on my platforms. Mm -hmm. Now I'm thinking, well, you know, I really like to talk about journalism and my stories and pop culture and sports and all the things that interest me. So now I'm thinking I, I, I'm probably going to do one. I, I think just you have should. to figure out what the best way is to launch it and, and all yeah. the, you know, how to do that and who to partner with to do that. But yeah, it, it's great to be able to talk to the viewers and right. the listeners and have them you know, be able to respond back in real time. That interaction is so important too. And as somebody who, as we both, we've watched this happen, just the rise of the internet and all the options and availability and what is asked of talent anymore, I'm sure. Uh, do you prefer, uh, and, and maybe you're just somebody who adapts super well, did you like it before as a, as a personality who's well-known, who's done a million different things, did you like it before whenever there was less interaction? I'm sure you, I mean, like no, or full transparency, Lisa was in Playboy in the 90s. Like that's a big, like you got fan mail, I'm sure like letters sent to you, but now somebody can tweet their immediate thought to you or somebody can send right. you that weird Facebook message about an article that you post or an interview that you do. It, as someone who's worked on both sides of it, which do you prefer? Or is that even a thought? Is it just kind of, well, this is what you do now? Yeah, it's, well, it's certainly a double-edged sword. By far, the vast majority of people that follow me or reach out to me on social media are amazing. That's great. And by, by far, I mean like 99%. Um, and I was worried about that when I first joined social media, I thought, Oh my gosh, are, you know, are the creeps going to come? Like, what is this going to be? And it ended up being wonderful. And I, right. I really have to say that I've been lucky for the most part, a lot of female journalists or, or, um, you know, actresses have had some, some pretty horrible things happen. Yes, I have had, you know, death threats or rape threats when it comes to my stories or when it comes to just haters, but that is such a small fraction of the people that reach out to me. And, and we, you know, we certainly get in discussions about pop culture, sports, politics, the news. Not everybody agrees with me, but for the most part, they've been really good conversations. Um, so I happen to love social media and I like hearing from people. That's why I think that I would probably like to do a podcast or a show where I could have, you know, longer, I guess for, you know, what you said, the longer conversations sure. about subjects and not have to just be, you know, and again, I work for CPS, I work for Inside Edition and they give me an assignment or I pitch an idea and we all work together, but I work for them, right? Work for the right. man. I would love to do something where I can just control the conversation and talk about what I want to talk about too. Yeah. So there's, I think there's, there can be, I can do both. I agree. And I think there's just such a big difference because the way you have to deliver things on a big time news program, it has to be very, you know, very poignant, very locked in. Whereas, I don't know, somebody like you that's got the sports knowledge that has entertainment knowledge and reporting knowledge and experience with that. I don't know. Maybe it's something you should, uh, you should pursue. I think it'd be good. Yeah, I think so. Don't push too. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, um, Lisa always has a lot going on. Um, website, all that good stuff. What's the newest project we need to know about that uh, that you're working on? So right now, believe it or not, I am writing my autobiography. And I started this a while ago. It's called Between a Jock and a Hard Place. 
and it's about my career in sports, transitioning, first of all, you know, being a sports fan growing up, sure. and then, um, you know, I talk about my childhood, losing my mom at eight years old. She had cancer and really bonding with my dad, which is why I got into sports, because he put sure. me in sports and he was a sports fan. Then I became a Rams cheerleader and a sportscaster, um, made the transition to um, acting and modeling and uh, then Inside Edition and Playboy and all these things. I have so many stories to tell that I thought it would be fun to actually get them down on paper and and deal with some serious issues. Me Too in sports is one of the serious issues. I have a lot of stories I'd like to talk about, um, about what happened to me and the things I saw. Um, and my transition into investigative reporting from sports casting. I think I've got some, some really good stories to share. And now I do keynote speaking where I wow. talk to corporations and, um, and different groups about being brave and tapping into their inner superhero because I believe we all have an inner superhero. But we're not really taught the lessons of you know how, how are you brave? How do you become brave? Right. So I actually have four steps that I use to be brave. So I have things that I want to talk about in this book. So I'm finishing my book finally. Congratulations. Um, I'm working on a, pardon me? Congratulations. It's got to be a great feeling. Thank you. Yeah, it's well, it'll be a great feeling when it's done and I see it out on, on you know, in bookstores and sure. when people are buying it. Um, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think people are going to enjoy it. You don't have to be a sports fan to enjoy this book. I think anybody um, can get something out of it. So I've been working on that, especially during this coronavirus pandemic when we're staying in. Sure. I've been two nights a week, I've been working with my editor to really define you know, this book. So I've been using my time wisely doing that. Um, you may know that I had written a song, a country music song that's been climbing the charts. It's called Everybody Loves a Comeback. And Grammy nominee Keith Burns sings it and I wrote it and I sing back up. And uh, that's, that's been doing really well. So if, you, if you're exciting. into music, um, you know, I, I wrote this country song on a $20 bet a long time ago, and it got made into an amazing, amazing song. So I'm really proud of that. In fact, I got my first check from CSAC. Um, oh, you're, that's legit. Song. So I was like, oh my God, it's a real song. I got, I got paid for this song. It's incredible. That's fantastic. Uh, so that's been fun. And then, of course, I've got all my social media stuff going. Inside Edition, of course. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot going on, I have to say. And I'm trying to be positive, trying to, you know, still work out every day, trying to eat right. And, you know, uh, I'm 55. So I really need to make sure that I take care of myself and uh, continue to hopefully do reporting and writing and entertaining for a long time to come. Well, I think you definitely will. Um, real quick, just it's a unique thing, and I should have got to it earlier, but as a Rams cheerleader and then as somebody who's been in L.A. for a long time, um, what was it? So as a St. Louisan, it was super exciting, and I was the perfect age whenever the Rams moved here. Um, yeah. I was like eight or nine. You know, they move here, and I'm like, oh, gosh, we can watch this. It's an hour away. We can go watch this. Um, you know, we, we see a Super Bowl win, and then we see another Super Bowl appearance, which kicked off the Patriots dynasty. So it was this crazy run, and then and you had Hall of Famers come out of that, Isaac Bruce and Kurt Warner, Torrey Holt, Marshall Falk, Orlando Pace, all these guys and all these great characters. Uh, and then it turns into a decade plus of just ineptitude and craziness, and we all have our opinions on it, and there's lawsuits uh, that are working yeah. through right now with uh, a guy who's from Missouri, uh, Stan Kroenke. 
as the cheerleader and somebody who probably had some, I'm hoping, uh, some love. Hopefully, I'm not bringing up anything painful uh, with your experience with the Rams and being a cheerleader. Um, was it what? Just what was it like for an, a Los Angeles person with ties to the Rams when they move away and then for them to come back? Um, oh gosh, two decades later. Right. Well, first of all, I was a Rams cheerleader in the 80s when the Rams played in Anaheim. And oh, I grew yeah. up as a Rams fan. So I am older than you. I go back to um, the Fearsome Foursome, Deacon Jones. Oh, I yeah. loved the Rams. And I remember my dad and I having a conversation about whether or not um, Vince Ferragamo should be the starting quarterback. And What know, a great memory. Lose your, that's right. Can you yeah. lose your starting job? You know, so... Uh, you know, going back a long, I've been a, a Rams fan for a very long time. When I cheered for the Rams in LA, that's the Eric Dickerson era. Um, you know, we had some amazing players back then. Um, Nolan Cromwell, um, Jack Youngblood. So, you know, I, I, I am certainly a, a Rams fan, a uh, lifelong Rams fan. Yeah. When the Rams left, I was furious at Georgia Frontieri for stealing my Rams away. And yeah. I hated the Rams after that. I said, I will never cheer for the Rams again. I hate them. They have um, hurt our fan base. You know, here's a fan base that had supported them for decades. And, um, you know, they had moved from playing at the Coliseum down to Orange County. So they had, you know, brought right. in this Orange County fan base as well. So when they left, I was bitter and I was furious. And I said, I'll never, ever, ever root for them again and yeah. i was a four-year cheerleader for them and when the um when they went and won the super bowl in st louis and you know those those golden years there and then the downfall i i was so happy i was so happy that they started to suck good so i said yeah good and then when the rumor happened that they were going to come back to la i was like hmm <laughs> well if they come back to la then I'm going to be a Rams fan again. Somebody's and been so working out. And, and so I've been going to the games. I'm oh, looking good. forward to them playing in the new stadium in Los Angeles. I went to the Super Bowl when they played the Patriots last year in Atlanta. Um, me and my Rams cheerleader alumni girlfriends go to a ton of games. We did a, a pregame show. The Rams cheerleaders did a pregame show for Monday Night Football last year. So... Now I'm a Rams fan again. So for all of you people in St. Louis that claim that you lost your Rams, wah, they were my Rams. My Rams. That's, and that's I got the, back. Winning. Look at Lisa Guerrero finishing up with some sass. That's the only way to think about it. That was your childhood team. I get it completely. Okay. Um, I think a lot of the salt here was, uh, was, and I hope, I hope it gets turned up in court. It's going to end up that they probably don't want people digging a little bit further. So I don't know what'll happen, but it remains in court and it's very, um, there's a lot of interesting potential with the NFL as a whole and, and the lawsuit that is ongoing with, uh, the city of St. Louis and everything else. So very interesting, but I'm glad you've got your team back and I'm glad that you can actually participate because you have real memories tied into that. And I'm fine with not having a team to root for It's We, we had the XFL here this year. It's whatever. The XFL. You have no, Lisa, this oh, wow. is, this is where it gets funny. You have no idea. The, this pandemic could not have hit at a worse time for the St. Louis. They were selling so many, they had to open up the upper bowl of the 60,000, uh, person dome here in St. Louis for the Battlehawks, they were going to, like, I wouldn't have doubted by the end of the season if they would have had 
I don't know. I would have given them forty, fifty thousand at least that would have went there. They were. It was pretty wild the support that they showed here, and it was a weird, um, a very weird uh, excitement and timing mixed with kind of a middle finger to Stan Kroenke of all people, which yeah, I probably. Thought, and yeah. that's so crazy. Was any did anybody have she hate me on their jersey? Any of these <laughs> current XFL players? No, no. I th- anybody less than thirty has no idea what I'm talking about. Google she hate me at XFL. <laughs> Rod Smart, yeah, he went on to play yeah. the NFL too. So, yeah, well, did. Lisa, I know you're you're super busy. It's been very kind of you to spend some time uh, chatting today. We know about all your projects, and when you're out there reporting, honestly, please be careful. I'm I'm uh, I, I commend you for the hard work you're doing, but man, that's uh, just not something we want to deal with right now, is it? So definitely yeah, take care. Yeah, I'm being of careful, and I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. Um, if I could recommend one thing. Because of your famous interview with uh, the Super Preacher, uh, <laughs> have you watched the HBO series The Righteous Gemstones? No, and I thought about that, and I'm like, okay, is this another thing that they're just going to be um, somehow, um, you know, yes, making fun of of that group of folks, but also yeah. somehow making them kind of subheroes, cultural, sure. you know? So I'm, I'm a little bit. So I don't know. Did you do you recommend it? Do you think it's great? I, I think it's fantastic. And I think if you look at it with the right point of view, they're not necessarily heroes. They're exposing the hilarious egos and just horrific behavior from these people. And again, Danny McBride writes it. So of course it's going to be goofy and silly and funny. But uh, I do highly recommend that. And there's a lot of really good acting and a lot of just if you look at it from the point of view is that they're more, they're doing the entertainment side of what you do, which is Mm -hmm. exposing the ridiculous nature and horrific things that these people are involved in and the jealousy and anger and manipulation that takes place in this. I, I, I'm sure it's very real for some people, but I think they do a really good job of it. So maybe check it out. I'm going to watch it now. I'm intrigued. If they're going to expose bad behavior, I, that's the way I look at it as a narrative. Like you have a look into these people's lives and it's like, oh, they think they're cool, but like they're the worst people on the planet. Like, I don't know. That's how I look at it. So we'll see. Maybe next time we talk, you can give me a review of it. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Lisa, I'll let you get back to it. Follow Lisa Guerrero on Instagram at 4 Lisa Guerrero, and we'll get everything out. Thank you so much for joining, Lisa. Thanks for having me again. We'll see Absolutely. you again soon. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. We are live, live, live. We are live.